Happy New Year. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, and welcome back to Fault Lines. This is episode 282 of the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm NSI Senior Fellow Morgan Vigna, and I am joined here today by my fellow senior fellows, Andy Kaiser and Bishop Garrison. Jamil, Jess, and Wes are out today as they continue to recover from their New Year's Eve festivities. While it may be a new year, we are still suffering from a 2023 hangover. As Israel continues its mission to defeat Hamas and see the return of Israeli hostages in Gaza, Iranian proxy groups have taken aim at U.S. forces across the Middle East. Since October 17th, there have been at least 115 attacks against U.S. personnel. But the United States has only targeted the Iranian-backed groups on seven occasions. In particular, Houthi rebels in Yemen have stepped up their aerial assaults on international shipping in the Red Sea. On December 18th, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced the creation of a new multinational task force dubbed Operation Prosperity Guardian to protect shipping through the Red Sea. This is critical as approximately 10% of global trade transits the Red Sea and 8.8 million barrels of oil per day travel through the Bab el-Mendeb Strait between Yemen and Djibouti. And just in time for the new year, the U.S. military finally hit the Houthis back. On December 31st, we saw the first instance in which the United States used military force to wish Houthi rebels a very happy 2024 when they returned fire and sank three of their vessels that had attacked them and a commercial ship in the Red Sea. This marks a notable transition in the United States' use of force. Previously, the United States had only taken defensive measures to protect commercial vessels after Houthi strikes. The Iranians, however, have taken considerable offense to this recent ass-whooping and in response dispatched a warship to the Red Sea. The 50-some-year-old vessel, which ironically enough was originally sold to the Shah by the British, will supposedly supervise naval operations, including Britain's, in the Indian, Pacific, and Atlantic Oceans. Andy, let's go with you first. The the Israelis going to Gaza seeking to eliminate Hamas. Iran sees this as an opportunity to take it to the United States, and we're only now flexing. What does this really sound? It doesn't really sound like the Iranians are taking us seriously. What's what's going on here? Yeah, first of all, happy uh, New Year, uh, Morgan Bishop, and the listeners out there. Nice to be on with you. Um, so I do think the the response has been important, though, as you as you correctly highlight, uh, you know, somewhat belated. Um, very concerned about the response to drone strikes against U.S. troops in the region. Uh, pretty tepid response there, in my judgment. But I do think we have a bit of uh, deja vu all over again happening here. So we have an administration that is sort of bending over backwards to uh, uh, create space to negotiate with the Iranians, uh, as was done with the Iran nuclear deal, um, which makes some sense from their perspective, but has created a lot of trouble in the region, uh, I think, if we're looking at it objectively. So we've sort of stepped away from some of our traditional allies in the Middle East, uh, including Israel. We've pressured the Saudis to end their war in Yemen, which has given some space to uh, to the Houthis for sure to conduct operations like this. Uh, we've, the, we've, you know, allowed or the Iranians have decided to uh, ship drones to Ukraine, which of course has led to multiple casualties uh, amongst our allies there. Uh, Hezbollah in the north has been you know, somewhat activated an Iranian proxy there. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the situation, a tragic situation on October 7th, uh, led by Hamas slaughtering 1,400 Jews in Israel. So I do think all of this collectively adds up to Iran, certainly uh, feeling emboldened. And we, you know, again, sort of step, uh, uh, bend over backwards to accommodate 
uh, not escalate. Some of this makes sense, but at some point when you have this critical shipping lane uh, being threatened in global commerce, uh, more clearly more action is needed. Thanks, Eddie. So Bishop, you're, let's go to you. Your old boss stated previously that the administration does not want to risk escalation in the region as justification for limiting its own use of force. But this isn't exactly how deterrence works, right? So do you think that this current trajectory is sustainable? Yeah, and uh, uh, thanks to uh, Morgan and to you, Andy, for uh, for me being a part of this. This is a great conversation. I think a pretty important one to start the year off. So uh, first, yes, this is a kind of, I know this is what many may think is the opposite of deterrence in this side. You're talking power projection whenever you talk about deterrence. We want uh, our, our enemies or we want someone to act in a certain way. So we show them the amount of power that we have and what we can uh, potentially do with it in order to get them to, to act as a, to become a reasonable actor in space. The problem is with Houthis, this is just not going to uh, potentially work. If they want to draw the U.S. into further conflict because they are seeing just a dividend on the back end of this uh, in pro- and provoking us or baiting us into some type of activity. They're seeing it in their recruitment numbers. Their recruitment numbers are skyrocketing right now because they're taking uh, what many believe to be in their region, the fight to Israel and to the, the evil empire of the United States, so to speak. So uh, there's that. And then there's the uh, the continued resources they're getting from, uh, you know, some of our enemies in the region as well, potentially, without going into too much detail there. So I, I think it's a it's a very calculated, smart risk assessment by the department, at least on on this front and by uh, Secretary Austin. He's uh, a former uh, COCOM commander. He understands how uh, these regions and how your uh, your actions and decisions can have a, a very strong impact. Uh, uh, in second and third tier effects on uh, whatever may be going on uh, with a particular enemy. So that's the first part of it. The second is, as you mentioned, uh, there is a coalition force here and uh, the United States continues to play a very large leadership role. But at the end of the day, this is about the economics of the situation as well. Uh, you have these rebels that are continuing to, to hit and affect, uh, negatively affect, it impact global trade. I think you mentioned, Morgan, it was uh, somewhere along the lines of 10 percent. I've read as much as uh, 25 to 30 percent of uh, uh, global trade is being affected by these attacks in the Red Sea. So you really have to, to decide whether or not having more kinetic activity in this space is going to have the positive effects or impacts that you're hoping to have. And I, I would argue that Anything we can do to bring the temperature down and to reduce these attacks that does not involve that type of activity is really important because the next step of escalation, you're talking about sending in uh, the U.S. Fifth Fleet, and that is not a small step. And uh, finally, one of the main things that we would ultimately have to do in terms of uh, that escalation, in terms of sending in the fleet, is look to where these uh, rebels are actually coming from, what their base of operations is. And you're talking about uh, Yemen's coastline. Uh, The Houthis control a large portion of northern Yemen. (laughs) So now we're having the... um, uh, it, it could be the possibility that we are going into a sovereign nation in order to deal with this issue. And that brings about many second and third tier effects uh, in and of itself. Like, are we attacking the nation, the government as it stands? Are we attacking the rebels? Have we uh, received, are we going to receive uh, the uh, the authorities necessary in order to properly do that under uh, international law? A lot of questions here. So I think this is actually the right approach, even though uh, it, it may seem counterintuitive uh, in this moment. I, I think they're they're going about it right. All right. Well, I love the diversity of opinion yeah. we've got here at Fault Lines as we start the new year. 
Um, that's a wrap. Thanks to Claude Jennings and the NSI staff for their help in producing today's episode. Join us again on Friday, January 5th for our next episode of Fault Lines. Fault Lines is now on YouTube, so check out our channel for a video of today's episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe.